You're listening to The Wannabe Minimalist Show with Deanna Yates, episode number 75. On today's show, I'm chatting with Chelsea Brennan, a former hedge fund manager who is now on a mission to help mamas manage their money, create more wealth, and pass better money habits on to the next generation. This is the perfect show for you if you've ever wanted to know more about moving past money blocks, helping your children learn about money, or understand how to create better money values as a family. It's an amazing show, and I was thrilled to have Chelsea on as my guest. Welcome to Wannabe Clutter Free, formerly Wannabe Minimalist, the podcast for busy families who are tired of the chaos, fed up with being overwhelmed, and ready to enjoy life again. Each week, we talk about how to let go of the clutter so that you can focus on the things that actually matter. And it's not just physical clutter. We talk about the mental and emotional stuff too, because if it's holding you back, it's time to ditch it. I share what I've done in my own life to declutter, organize, and calm the chaos, but you won't just hear it from me. There are amazing guests too. It's practical, doable, and simple for those of us that want to be clutter-free. Hey there, my wannabe minimalist friend. Welcome back to the show. As always, I'm your host, Deanna Yates, creator of littlegreenbow.com and your resident wannabe minimalist. Now, I know that I am biased, but today's show is so good. My guest has some amazing advice for all of us, and it was so enlightening to see how much overlap there is between how we deal with our money and how it translates into how we deal with our stuff. Chelsea is the founder of Smart Money Mamas and its monthly membership community, the Motivated Mama Society. An ex-hedge fund manager turned financial educator, she is dedicated to changing the way we talk about money, helping moms connect with all aspects of their money in a way that lets them overcome emotional blocks, identify what they want most, and create healthy money habits that help them achieve their biggest goals, all while modeling positive money relationships for the next generation. Chelsea lives in Connecticut with her husband, a rock star, stay-at-home dad, and two young and energetic boys. Our discussion starts with looking at how to establish money values if you didn't come from a family that talked about money, and we take a deep look at how to help children save and foster a giving spirit. Not only will today's lesson help you with your money mindsets, it will also help you look at your stuff in a new light as well. I'm going to go out on a limb here and say that this will be an eye-opening episode for you, as it was for me, and when you're finished listening, be sure to head over to littlegreenbow.com slash 75 to get the show notes for today's episode with links to the free resource Chelsea offers you as well. Again, you can find it all at littlegreenbow.com forward slash the number 75. And now let's get to my conversation with Chelsea Brennan. Hi, Chelsea. Welcome to the show. How are you doing today? Doing great. Thanks so much for having me, Deanna. Oh my gosh. It's my pleasure. I am so excited to jump into this topic because money and intention and living minimalistically, or, you know, some people equate minimalism with frugality. So it's a lot of different things that go in there. And so I just think this is going to be a super fun conversation today. Absolutely. Ton of overlap there. Awesome. Well, why don't we start there? Why don't you tell me about yourself, tell our audience about yourself and what led you to starting Smart Money Mamas? Absolutely. So I'm Chelsea Brennan. I live in Connecticut with my two young boys. I have a three and a half year old and a five and a half year old. As my five and a half year old says, not just regular five, five and a half. <laughs> um, so we don't, we're not going to screw that up on him. Uh, but it's, uh, I started Smart Money Mamas almost five years ago now, and I left my job to do it full-time almost four years ago now. 
And before this, I was a hedge fund manager. And so from an intellectual stimulation perspective, I learned a lot. I had a great job. I made great money, but it was not aligned with my values and the type of life I wanted to live and letting me have control over my time. And so when my son was born, my first, my oldest was born. Um, I started to really rethink what I was going to do. How could I have more impact? And I was in this mom's group of 250 moms who all had their first baby in the same month. I had my first baby. We were all across the country and we'd been together since early pregnancy and I'd become the go-to person to answer their money questions. And so about the week before my son's first birthday, um, I realized I was answering the same questions over and over again. And so I made a post in our group and said, like, if I was going to start a blog and just write and answer your questions, what questions would you want to see me answer? And within a day, we had like six, I think it was 64 questions. And so for the first 40, 45 days of the blog, I posted every single day, answered a question every day. And it was just amazing to see how removing just some of the blocks, some of the fear about money could really change how someone could choose to spend their time and to do their work and do all those kind of things. And so it just became this community where it was okay to want more. It was okay to want to break cycles, especially generational cycles around positive, uh, uh, poverty and really thinking about what, how do we, what legacy are we leaving behind? And so right before my second child was born, uh, about a month before he was born, I, I quit um, and started doing this full time. So. Oh, that's fantastic. And I know when I was first starting that I was talking about people um, equating minimalism with living frugally. And sometimes that is because we have these blocks around money and they don't really understand how to get around them. So they think, well, if I just don't buy anything, then that's going to help. But I also feel like it's more about intention and just being really intentional with you know, how we live, how we spend our money, what we buy, what we bring into our home and into our lives. And like you were saying, leaving those legacies. So what does it mean before we hop into kind of all of that? I want to find out what does it mean kind of for you to live with intention? Because again, I don't want to push minimalism on anybody. I mean, it's kind of something that I feel, um, you know, that I'm interested in, but I know a lot of people will equate it with kind of more of this intention. So what does that mean for you? Absolutely. So intentional living to me means having enough space um, in your budget, in your schedule to listen to that inner voice about what you really want, getting very clear on what your values are and how you want to feel in your day-to-day life and aligning how you spend your money, how you spend your time um, to those values on a consistent basis. And I think the problem is we've all gotten so busy um, in all the ways, right? Our houses are cluttered, our schedules are cluttered that we don't even hear what we want. And so one of the main things we talk about with money is really about it being a form of self-care and being a way to reduce stress, being a way to give yourself more space. And we talk about self-care all the time. We get moms who are like, I don't even know what I would do, right? It's been so long that they've made time for themselves that they don't know what they would enjoy. And so it's giving yourself that freedom to play and find the things that you love and really make sure that you're supporting the type of companies, the type of values that matter to you every time you spend your money. Yes. The voting with your dollars and yes, spending your money aligned with your values. So good. So, so good. And we've been exploring things that we like to do recently. We just tried surfing. It was super fun. Surfing is so fun. I haven't done it in years, but it's so fun. Oh my gosh. It was, I mean, I'll 
I'll put my age out here. I am about 40 and, um, yeah, trying surfing when you're 40 is fun. (laughs) (laughs) A little sore the next day I'm imagining. Oh my gosh. Well, it's so funny because you feel like the waves are so big and we took all these videos and they're so tiny. (laughs) They're so tiny. Anyway, I'm getting off topic, but yes, explore what you love to do ladies, because you never know what that might be and you know, where the fun might come in. All right. So let's go ahead then and move into these money values because Mm. where can we start establishing them? Because if we didn't come from a family where finances were discussed regularly, this can be really scary and daunting. And you, like, like I said, you just don't even know where to start because you don't know what you were missing uh, type of thing. So can you give us some examples on, you know, good, good ways to start there and what we should even do? Absolutely. So I'm going to tell you the one funny thing that I tell our audience quite a bit, which is I can't help you with your money. And what I mean by that, of course, it's very funny coming from smart money mamas, but what I mean by that is that we get people coming all the time. Like what's the best budgeting tool I should use, or where should I open an investment account? And they're looking for the tool that will fix their finances. And the reality is that money is very, very emotional. It's tied to our sense of fight or flight and real safety, right? Because it it ties into our ability to have food to eat and roof over our mouth, roof over our mouths, roof over our heads, Um, and so even if we've never lived in a place of scarcity, we do have these real deep fears about money and we all have money, no matter what your upbringing was, you have money blocks. And so the first step to defining your family money values is taking some time to peel back the layers on what is your current emotional relationship with money? What did you learn about money when you were a kid? When you hear the word budget, when you hear the word invest, when you hear the word wealth, what comes up for you? Do you, does your chest get tight? Um, do you just want to like run away? Like what, what is the feeling? Are you engaged? Are you excited about you know, what's to come when you hear those words, what, what is your relationship to money now? And once we can kind of pull that out, we can start to see the contradictions, right? So we have to do this partially because most core money beliefs are set around age seven. It's not that you can't shift them, but our core beliefs are set around age seven. Yeah. And so we could get into why that is. That's a whole other conversation, but, the, but it's set around age seven. And so for many of us for 20, 30, 40 years, this has been running in our subconscious without us really challenging what those beliefs are. And so what we do in Smart Money Mamas and in our society is is pull those things out and then say, what relationship do we want to have with money? What do we want our family's money values to be? And what I mean by that is, is how do you want to feel? So for us, um, security is one of our three family money value words. We, we want to feel secure, especially because my husband's a stay-at-home dad. I'm a sole earner. We want to make sure security is there. Um, we want to feel abundant. And in that you, you can really get, when you have a security seeker side of your money personality, you can have a real struggle enjoying money because you're, you just want to hoard it. You're afraid that the other shoe is going to drop as soon as you buy anything, as soon as you do anything. And so we want to have that sense of both security and abundance that we can lean into and enjoy what we're building. Um, And impactful. We want to feel impactful. We want to be giving back. We want to be supporting companies and communities that we love and and things like that. And so as you start to define those words, you start from those feeling words, you can start to see where your values might come out. And so we have our three um, feeling words with money, what I just told you. And then we have three main values, like life values that our money needs to equate to. So for instance, one of ours is education. And so when it comes to our budget, we can look at our budget and say, Hey, are we making room for museum subscriptions and great books for the kids? And are we making space for that in our schedule or is our budget reflecting somebody else's values? And oftentimes when we, we peel that back first, so we do all this work 
before we look at our numbers, right? Because you get so, so, so much confirmation bias when you're looking at your existing spending. It's hard to say like, oh, I don't need that anymore. Once you have your desired feelings and your values, you can go through your credit card statement and just make a plus sign or a minus sign, like a minus sign being this doesn't actually align with anything I want to do. Like I've done it because I've done it forever and it's a habit or because my mom did it or because I think I'm supposed to. And you can start to create more space for yourself. And so it's a process. I think we all end up with these, you know, short statements that become our family's kind of money mantras and money values, but it really starts with what are your feelings and what are your lived values? Okay. (laughs) Okay. Okay. Let's, let's unpack that a little bit. So you said, okay, so it's three emotional words, basically three things you want to feel with your money. And these are all coming from your ideal scenario, right? Like we Mm -hmm. want to, if, if I want to take a minute, take a breath, clear my mind, get in a place and find my three words that I want our money to reflect us emotionally. And Mm -hmm. so the three that you listed were your personal. Those are my personal. They can be, so they can be any three words that you choose. So, yeah. So we have people whose words are confident and worthy and inspired. Like there's, we actually have a whole feelings bank list for people to pick from because also as a society, we're disconnected from our money and we're disconnected to our feelings in many cases. And so we get moms before we had the feelings bank, we had moms being like, this is embarrassing, but I can think of like five feeling words. (laughs) What's two I'm going to pull from? Yeah. You know what? I totally get it. So it's the three emotional feeling words and then the three values. And then those are going to help you decide if your spending is aligned and where you're putting your money is aligned with how you want to be living your life. Mm -hmm. And it's so interesting because it is almost exactly directly correlated to what I teach as well. Mm -hmm. So because your stuff also has this very emotional and just value driven attachment in your home as well. You know, so it's Mm -hmm. so funny because this is exactly how I start before we even look at getting rid of anything. I want you to figure out, yeah, what is it that you, how do you want to be living? What is that life you want? So 100% money stuff, they are so similar in ways. I just can't invest my stuff. I can invest my money though. (laughs) Well, and so there's also this aspect too, where money isn't a one-time fix, right? Like, Mm -hmm. and this is the other thing we run up against, especially with people who haven't talked about money before. They're like, how do I fix it? So I don't have to think about it anymore. Uh And that's not how it works, right? Money touches everything that we do. It's where we vacation, it's where our kids go to school. It's the type of neighborhood we live in, right? It's where we grocery shop. And so we can't just shut it down. And what we have to do is understand that like, Hey, maybe your big life dream is to pay off all your debt and buy a lake house and retire at 55, right? Maybe you have this big, huge, amazing goal but that's 20 years away and you don't know how it's going to happen. And it's kind of scary when we first have feeling words, we can do the small things today that make us feel more like that. Right. So if mm-hmm. security and abundance are your words, and I'm just using those because I'm most comfortable with them, maybe I'm not going to be able to get out of debt in the next month, but I could put an extra hundred bucks in my emergency fund. I could you know, take the time to look at my statements instead of being afraid of them. And then I would at least know my numbers and I'd feel more secure. So you can take these steps that bring you to the feeling words and it gives you permission to change your goals when you have to change them. And the problem we have sometimes with long-term goals, and this is not a money thing, this is just a life thing, is that we get so focused on the goal, we forget the why. And so we're halfway through the journey and it's starting to feel like maybe I don't want to climb this mountain but now you've been working on it for five years. And so you can't really get rid of it. And then you get to the top. The worst feeling is when you get to the top and you're like, I didn't want to be here. 
Like I did all this work and I didn't want to be here. And so when you're, you're following those feeling words, those value words, it can let you say, I'm still honoring security, abundance and impact, but I'm going to do it in a slightly different way. And that's okay. Yeah, no, it's great. It is. It's more of who is that person you want to become, you know, Mm. and what habits and steps can you take along the way that help you become that person or get to that place? Because yes, sometimes that long-term goal, if it's so far out there really can morph because life is life and it changes and things that I want today are different than things that I wanted five, 10 years ago, especially before I had a child. So, you know, it's crazy how things change. So I like that. A lot. Can I, can I touch on something for a second about those feeling words? And so we ran an event last year called Mama's Talk Money. We had over 25,000 moms there. It was a really cool event. And part of that, we ran a survey about money mindset and thousands of women took it, not all the people that were there, but thousands of women took it. And so we went through the results and Deanna, over 50% of the moms that uh, responded to the survey said some form of, I don't feel worthy of money. Mm. I feel like if I have it, I'll screw it up. I feel like I don't Mm. deserve it. I feel like over and over again, it was really hard to read. So what we did for that specific question is my uh, number two and I sat down and literally read them all out loud, like for hours. And so we just kept Mm. hearing not worthy, not worthy, not worthy, not worthy. And there's so many reasons for that. Uh, But one of the big ones we talk about women um, specifically is that we're taught that the things that we value are frivolous from like day one, right? Pretty dresses, the color pink, makeup, it's all quote unquote frivolous. And so we don't trust the things that we want. And so when we set goals, what happens is sometimes we're setting goals because we think we're supposed to. And when we start this journey of self-worth and self-discovery, we do discover that often that that's not what we really want. And so you have to have a guiding light that's not the trophy at the end of the road. Hmm. Gosh, it's so interesting. And it is, yeah, that hurts. Like just hearing you say that about like so many women thinking that they're not worthy is so painful. Really painful. Gosh, I can imagine that that was really hard to go through, but, and fab- fabulous that you're helping women deal with that because yeah, that stinks. <laughs> It does. And it starts, you know, it starts from a young age too. And I think boys have this as well, but it's one of those language and it's the importance of building family money values of Mm -hmm. we're in, you know, you're in the store with our kids and we're in target, we're trying to get out of there and they're holding up some cheap crap piece of toy. And we're like, no, we don't need that. That's a piece of crap and tell them to put it back. What they're hearing is that the things that they want and the things that they see are crap. Right. Mm -hmm. And so they don't trust them. They grow up to be kids that don't trust themselves. Right. And they don't trust what they want um, or they rebel against it and they buy all the stuff. And then you Mm -hmm. need to help them with the minimalism decluttering. Right. And Mm so it's figuring out money values, let you figure out what language you use around money in your house and how you can better have these conversations. Because yes, there's great ways to sit and teach your kids and have lessons and all that, those things. But what they're really learning is what they see you do every day and the little comments that you make about your budget and your spending and the things they want. And so we really all have to be on the same page on the language that we're using and our priorities. Oh, yeah. Okay. So let's hop back to our kids. And Mm -hmm. let's talk about this, that your core money ideas are set at age seven. I'm like freaking out. My daughter's eight. Like, what the hell did I do? Um, What, (laughs) like, did I mess her up? Nope. It's going to be okay. (laughs) Um, Okay. So how do we get them involved in the process? What What are the things that we should be telling them? Because yes, I try not to say what you just said about the target thing, but yeah, we don't generally buy a bunch of stuff when we're out at the store because more for us, she knows that our core values are 
you know, less stuff, more experience, Yes, um, which again is really hard with children, but, and she has plenty of stuff. So mm-hmm. nobody come after me. She's having those kids with no <laughs> toys. Fine. Okay. She's fine. She's doing just fine. Um, but let's talk about getting kids involved. Yeah, absolutely. So let's first, for all the parents whose kids are over seven, that are having the same meltdown that you're helping out. Let's, let's, let's talk about this for a second. So kids start to understand the basic concepts of money, that it's traded for things around age three. And those core beliefs are set around age seven. So this is a little bit more of a neurology talk, um, but, but we'll just touch on it. So we start to see as young kids that money has this real importance in our world. And for a lot of kids, they have some moment that is either stressful or just big and impactful where they see something happen with money. Their parents arguing about money, a specific comment their parent makes in the store, whatever it is. And because our brains naturally look for stability, we make a big universal assumption from that moment. And so the question we ask is, what decision did you make about money in that moment, right? And then the next step, because our brains look for stability and it's it's like way back hunter-gatherer, it kept us safe, was we look for proof of the thing we already believe. And so we spend 10, 15, 20, 30 years only seeing the things that validate what might be a wrong assumption. As kids, we have very little perspective, right? And so until we peel that back and some people peel it back and they go, this isn't what I believe at all. Like this is, this, this is contradictory. This is like, and so one example we use a lot and I have her permission. It's okay to use this story is that we had a woman in our community who her money story was, she was in the store, uh, in the grocery store with her mom. She was like six years old and she picked up a bag of plastic dinosaurs as they're walking towards checkout. She's like, I really want these mom. I really want these. And her mom turned to her and said, dad only gave me so much money for the groceries. We can't afford the dinosaurs, put them back. And the assumption that she made, that the decision she made about money in that moment is that dad decides what's okay to buy and not okay to buy. So now you have this 35-year-old fierce, amazing feminist woman who is still looking to her dad and to her husband for approval every time she spends money, right? And not having her own confidence in her financial decision. And so it's things like that. It's moments. And so it's not that you can't change things after age seven. It's that that that's when they get set. So if your kid is 9, 10, 11, 15, what we hear is parents saying they come to us at those ages and they're like, okay, my kids are old enough to learn about money now. I want to do it now while they're a clean slate before they make mistakes. You have to come into those conversations knowing that your kid already has some assumption about how money works in the world. And you need to have open conversations so they can explain to you what they believe and help them work through anything that might've been contradictory from the beginning. Mm -hmm. So it's not like the game ends at age seven. It's just that (laughs) there's already some thoughts in there, right? And so when it comes to getting them involved, it's giving them autonomy with money and the ability to make decisions and make mistakes as early as possible. And that's the age appropriate, you know, you're not going to turn over thousands of dollars to your five-year-old, but you want to give them an opportunity to practice. And so allowance is the easiest way to do that if you have the budget to do so. And every family, this can work a little bit differently. Um, I am a huge proponent of allowance not being tied to chores. Um, that's a very debated topic in the personal finance world, the parenting world. For me, um, we we want our boys to be active members of the household and not to expect some reward for being an active equal member of the household. And part of being an active equal member of the household is that they're involved in the family financial ecosystem. And so what we want 
as parents is them, our kids to grow up to be independent, our kids to grow up to be able to manage well, any money we're able to pass down to them, whether that's, you know, very little, or we're just passing down lessons, or, you know, you've built a real estate, you know, portfolio that you're passing on to your kids. You want them to be able to lean into that. And so both my boys started allowance around age three, which is a little early, but they also grew up with someone who was talking about money all the time. So they were ready, but they both started around age three. And the conversation we had from them is that like, as a family, we manage money and someday we want you to help mama and dada decide what are we doing with the business and are we going to make these big investments or things like that. But for right now, you are old enough to manage $5 a week. And so you, here's what you're responsible for. And so at this age, at five, my oldest, it's things in the grocery store checkout line. Like we're not touching that. It's toys when it's not a holiday or a birthday. And if we go to like a amusement park or something, they will get a certain amount from us to buy stuff. So like we'll give them an extra five bucks or 10 bucks, but otherwise they have to bring their own money. And so this is important too, to set guidelines about what their money needs to be used for, because a lot of parents give allowance but then continue buying all the same things for their kids. And so the kids just, they don't really learn anything. Um, and then tying in other lessons. So they, they get allowance. It's split into three jars. They have a um, spend, save, and a share jar, or give jar, depending on how you want to phrase it. Share works better when your kids are younger um, because what all we're trying to do is get them to be excited to bless others with money. And so sometimes when, you know, uh, Henry or George will just have a friend at school that's sad and they'll be like, can I buy some Pokemon cards for them? Or can I make them buy them a card? And like, that's it. Like that will grow into charity. That's not how we think is adults about charity, but that will grow into charitable giving. We will be right back. And now back to the show. Oh, that makes sense. Okay. So any other ideas on charitable giving? Cause I know that a lot of parents do want to try to instill that giving spirit in their children. And, mm. but I like what you're saying. And it's similar, I think too, with stuff and helping their, and helping your children declutter, you know, mm. when you have this external entity, this, you know, unknown person or unknown place that you send your things, I think that's very hard for children. So I would imagine money is very similar because for them, it's very personal. Like this was their thing, their toy. And so I always suggest that if you have a very sentimental child that you know who you're giving it to, um, mm. because that's, how, that's easier for them to pass it on. So is it similar with money then and charitable giving or it's very similar in both saving and charitable giving. So what you'll see and we'll, we'll touch on charitable giving specifically, but okay. anytime it feels like their money is just disappearing, mm. there's a couple things there. A, it feels like they're losing control. Um, and they will grow up with a lot of fear around control. Like, Hey, they gave me money, but then they took it away. <laughs> like, what, what happened to that? Well, welcome to your first job in taxes. <laughs> taxes are a different situation, right though? Like, cause okay. That's yeah. yes. <laughs> welcome but, to taxes. Right. But yeah, you've seen those videos, right? Oh, like where yeah. the kids get their first check and they're like, what, what happened to my money? <laughs> so, yes, right. Conversations you have to have conversations about taxes before yes. that first paycheck comes in, but <laughs> it's a control thing. And then for Got saving it. specifically, it's so interesting to see so many people who come into money, you know, as adults, we're finally learning about it, right? Or we feel uncomfortable about it. And so we've seen all the things we're supposed to do. We're supposed to pay off debt. We're supposed to invest. We're supposed to save for college. And so we get so excited about helping our kids start early. And unfortunately, we see this all the time where people have a save jar for their kids and they tell them like, this is going to be your college spending money and I'm going to put it away. And your kid is like, 
I can't even what 10 years from now, what is 10 years? It basically feels like their money disappeared. And we actually now we've, we've seen adults in our group who have this relationship that saving is my money disappearing. Right. And so I better spend it before someone comes and makes me save it. And I never get to see it again. Um, and so what we have to do instead is set age appropriate savings goals. And so for younger kids, you're talking anywhere from four to 12 months. And as they get older, that time spreads out, they can do bigger and bigger goals, but you're, all you're doing is trying to develop grit and delayed gratification. Each goal should get a little bit bigger. We like to have print a visual chart. So if they're saving for something that's 50 bucks, print a chart with 50 dots on it. Every time they put a dollar in, they color it in. And when they reach that goal, you celebrate hard with them, right? You make it a special trip to go buy the thing. You let them turn over the money. You make it so that saving isn't some negative thing where your money disappears. Saving is a way for me to get really cool things I otherwise couldn't get. Right. And so then it's really exciting and you see them and, and it also uh, gets rid of some of the gimmies in the store. Um, we now have a new policy that like if they see something they like and it's not a birthday or a holiday, they just hold it up. We take a picture of them holding it. And the next time it's time for them to take a savings goal, we scroll through that part of the phone and they pick what they want to save for. Now we do that. I don't do it with the savings goal. That's brilliant. We do it for the holidays. So mm. my daughter's lucky that her birthday is about six months from Christmas. So she, okay. it's a much easier you know, six months, six months, you know, save your January, February babies over here. It makes it a little harder. That's (laughs) real hard. That's a, that's a long time, but we do that. So I'll think about that for savings goals too. That's brilliant. Mm -hmm. And then when it comes to charitable giving, it's connecting to what's important to your kids. And so this is asking, you know, this is paying attention to, do they really love animals? Do they really love art? And can you find an initiative that speaks to that? And so you'll have local animal shelters that let people come drop off dog food and toys, right? And so they're, they're seeing the result. Um, you can do this with art. There's different art supply charities that are the same way that bring art supplies to underprivileged kids. And so you can buy and bring in art supplies is a great way to do it. What we do most often is our kids love animals, specifically sea animals. And so we do World Wildlife Foundation. Um, you can pay, it's like $55, I think is in a quote unquote adoption of an animal and you get a certificate and you get a little stuffed animal and they feel like they get something. And so when they pick an animal, every time they reach a goal, we celebrate, they get their thing. The stuffy comes in, we hang the sign on the wall. But then when we pick a new one, we scroll through and we watch some videos about why those animals are endangered and how they get help. And, and then they pick and we print a new picture with the animal on it and the number of, of bars they have to f- fill in. Now, $55 is a lot when you're three and five. And so we match dollar for dollar for them. So they only have to save $27 or whatever to do it. Um, but, but it makes it so much more real. And you do see the disconnects, right? Like you were saying with the stuff, like them not understanding where it goes. Mm-hmm. The first, the first animal Henry, my oldest ever saved was a, a black panther. Um, nope. Uh, snow leopard. Sorry. He just did black panther <laughs> a couple weeks ago. So I'm confused. Um, a snow leopard. And we're sitting at the computer and he knows we've explained how debit cards work. And so he gave me his money. I told him I put it on my debit card and now we're going to send it to World Wildlife. So we're filling out the information. And he looks at me and he goes, mom, what if the snow leopards lose their money? And I was like, what? I looked at him and he was like, snow leopards don't have pockets. What if they lose their money? (laughs) And it was so hard to A, not laugh at how as an adult ridiculous that is. And B, find a way to explain it to him in a way that made sense. And so what I came out with and what has been working is like, do you know how you and George have adults that take care of you, like mommy and daddy and Gigi? And he was like, yep. Like there are adults whose job it is to take care of snow leopards. And so we're not giving the money right to the snow leopards because you're right. They don't have pockets. 
And <laughs> there's a, those adults will spend the money to take care of the snow leopards. And then that made sense to him, so right? Cute. And so now he knows, and now he, some, now he sometimes will correct his language and not say that he's sending money to a leopard or not saying he's spend, sending money to a great white, but he's sending money to the adults who help. And that is also another language change that was just unintentional, but it's letting him look for the helpers, right? That whole idea of support the helpers in the world. And so it's really just finding something that excites your kid about charity. And over time, I think as your kids get older, especially that 11 and up age where they have more view of the world, bringing them into conversations about how you give as a family and how you guys pick charities and, you know, what are you looking for in a good organization to support and letting them have some say in that as a family, it can be a really important thing too. But early on, really making sure they're just personally excited about it. Oh, I love that. And it's such a good reminder too, that we don't always understand what's going on in our children's heads. And we don't, it is really hard to see things from a child's perspective. Mm -hmm. So yes, as we are teaching them these giant life lessons that have taken all of us decades to learn, (laughs) you know, we need to make sure that we one, are patient with ourselves as well, because I know that it can get a little frustrating sometimes if you, you know, and just patient with them, obviously, but you know, yeah, you have this idea of how you want it to be and the end goal. And we just have to realize that sometimes they see things in a different way. And sometimes it's a, it's a fabulous way and it can help us through some of our blocks, but, um, yeah, no, I love that story. Thank you so much for sharing that one. That was and, so good. <laughs> and so many of us have anxiety around money and it's Absolutely. really hard to make our, watch our kids make mistakes, right? Um, when you're about to go to the store and they wanted to buy something where you were at the store and you see them walking out the door without their wallet, it's so easy to want to go, you forgot your wallet, but <laughs> I'm telling you the meltdown is hard. But the first time they're in the store and they forgot their wallet and you say like, well, you can't buy things if you don't have money. And so like, maybe we're going to come back next week and you can get it next week. They don't forget their wallet again. Right. And like, Mm -hmm. and the bigger things is when they're buying things that we just don't think are, are valuable where it's going to break or they're not going to, they're going to lose interest. And we so badly want to stop in and step in and tell them, no, what we're doing though, is we're removing that autonomy and we're Mm -hmm. kicking the can down the road. We want them to make mistakes with money when it's $20, not when it's $20,000. Right. And so it's letting them, letting them have those experiences. And when they make the mistakes to not go to, I told you so. And Mm -hmm. that is also a really hard thing to do is just to sit with them in it and say, and like, how are you feeling about this? What would you do differently? Let them guide that conversation. And if they need it, because some kids will go to a real shame place very quickly Mm. of, I should have known better. I can't believe I did this. And then it's a place to show them, tell them times that you screwed stuff up. Right. And like that, this is all a learning process and a journey. And it doesn't mean that they're bad with money. It doesn't mean that they can't make these decisions. It just means that they're learning and that's okay. Absolutely. Yes. I know my husband loves to tell me some, because sometimes I'm a little, I'm a, I'm the um, more pushover parent. I'm not a pushover, but I'm yes. more of a pushover, right? Like I'm easier to get on your side. So he always tries to remind me, our job is to teach her how to be able to live on her own. That is your job as a parent to raise a human so they can go out into the world on their own and they need to make mistakes now. Yes. So that mm-hmm. when they are adults, it's much easier. And they're not falling flat on their face when they're alone in you know, some apartment and freaking out at midnight. (laughs) Mm -hmm. 
And so, I think that when you come back to the yeah. allowance thing too, oh, if, yeah, that's, if that's the goal, if the goal is to have them be independent adults who make good decisions, mm-hmm. look at allowance as an investment in that goal, right? Mm. Like, are you as a parent willing to invest five bucks a week, 10 bucks a week, whatever the number is for your family. And that's going to depend on what expectations you have for your kids and what spending they're covering. Mm-hmm. We know families that their kids buy their, all their own school clothes, right? Their kids are 12 and up. And so as a family, they set their budget for each kid and the kid just gets to manage that money, right? So their allowance is going to be bigger than someone who doesn't do that and so forth. Um, you're making an investment in raising that kid and the ROI on that's amazing. Like a kid who is going to fly out of the nest and not going to get themselves in some big issue that you might want to help them out of that is going to make really good decisions about the type of work that they take and how they pursue their passions and all those kind of things. And so um, I always like to phrase it that way as an investment. And the question that we get most often is, you know, where do you draw the line with what chores you pay for and what chores you don't pay for? Um, Because there are things we do pay them for. And so the, 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 The rule is if they can say no, I will pay them to do the chore. And so they can't say no to making their bed, but they can say no to if we had a big storm and we're dragging trees out of the backyard and they just would rather play in the driveway, they can go play in the driveway. So if they come help us, we'll give them five bucks or whatever it is. And so that's the designation for us because we do want them to be creative about money too. And that's the really fun part about savings goals and giving goals when you have those charts is your kids will start to look at money as a problem solving experiment of like, Mm -hmm. could I sell this toy that I don't really use anymore and get closer to the toy that I really want? Could I clean dad's truck and get closer to the goal I really want? Could I, you know, make pictures and sell them to the, you know, they, they start to really see money as an abundant thing, as not, a limited scarce resource, but you know, how can I use my skills to get what I want? And that's what we want, right? This is what we need as adults yeah. too, is to be really good creative problem solvers. Fantastic. Absolutely fantastic. Oh, one thing I thought was I have seen the guideline, just if someone's never done allowance and they have no idea where to start, I have seen a guideline of a dollar per year per week. Mm-hmm. Does that sound, I mean, cause that would seem somewhat reasonable if it's in the budget, obviously, if it yeah. fits within your family budget, because my daughter's eight. So that would be about $8 a week, which I mm-hmm. think would seem somewhat appropriate. Does that seem, I mean, it sounds close to what you're giving your, your boys. Yeah. So there's two things. One, you have to figure out what you want your kids to cover. Uh-huh. Um, and so that's going to factor into their budget. I think that especially once you get past age, like nine, that mm. rule gets fuzzier um, because you, you might want them to cover certain things. You might have a kid that plays a sport and they travel on the weekends and you want them to be able to buy their own food. And so their allowance is going to be higher. There's all sure. those kind of different restrictions, but a dollar per year of age per week is a good place to start. Um, and the second place is to think about like, if they're going to have the three jars, is that enough? So $8 sounds fine. But if you only are, that means they have, you know, two fifty a week, maybe that's not enough. Maybe we rethink that. And the last one is, um, I said two, but I meant three. Uh, The last thing is consistency. And so if you're going to start an allowance system with your family, pick a way that you know you can stick to. For some families, this means they're not doing cash-based allowance, that it is like something that they write on the family whiteboard and they hand over cash when the kid is able to spend. Is that the ideal situation? No. But if you're worried about having cash on hand and then skipping weeks and catching up and all those things, we do not want to build a feeling of insecurity into our kids' money mindsets, right? And that happened to so many of us growing up where our parents started allowance and stopped allowance and started allowance. And so you pick whatever system works for you. So for us, Henry's five and a half. He should be getting five bucks a week. He gets six bucks a week because I got tired of splitting $5 into three jars. And I was like, 
you get six bucks a week. <laughs> and right. so that's just how, that's how we work it. Oh, that makes sense. I love that. Yeah. Again, mamas make it easy for you. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah. Let's not overcomplicate our lives. So let's keep it simple, intentional, and we'll move forward. So speaking of, you know, mamas that might be feeling overwhelmed or just knowing they have money blocks or just really concerned with, you know, kind of how they've been thinking about money. What would you say to that mama right now? What should she do to just help herself right now? Mm. So the first thing I would do is create a money smile file. And so Ooh, I, want you to, this? I want you to take, uh, open, a, open a Google document, get a fun notebook, sit down and write all the things that you're proud of that you've done with your money, right? Did you buy your house? Did you get a raise at your new job? And, and little things too. Did you listen to this whole podcast with Deanna and Chelsea talking about money when you're usually uncomfortable talking about money? Did you read a blog post? I want you to just free write all the things that you've done correctly. We, it's another neuro thing, but it takes on average nine positive experiences to offset one negative experience. Our brains are wired to look for the negative because once again, hunter-gatherer brain that kept us safe because we were always looking and putting effort on the things that could hurt us. But so we first need to pull out the things that we're good at. We need to build a little bit of that confidence. This is going to be good for the exercise. You're going to feel at the end of the exercise, feel like you've done some really positive things. And anytime you're feeling anxious in the future, I want you to go back to that smile file, right? Or add to it create a habit of adding to it once a week before you do your budget meeting, whatever that looks like for you. Start your money smile file. And the next thing I want you to do is take some time and sit quietly and reflect on what are you actually anxious about? What is making you most nervous in this moment? Is it not being able to pay a certain bill? Is it worrying whether you're going to get a promotion? Is it worrying that your car is going to fail and something's going to happen, right? What is it? And pick the thing that is making you the most nervous and decide on one tiny step forward you can take. We talked about this earlier, right? Um, what is the little thing you can do? If it's your car, can you Google the cost of the, the maintenance that you think your car needs? Not don't call the garage, don't schedule it, just figure it out. And then because there's so much unknown and anxiety builds in this way that makes mountains out of molehills, right? And it's not that everything is easy to solve. It's not. We, we live in a society where there's a lot of issues with the way wealth is distributed right now, but there can be easier solutions, right? You can say, oh, that actually that repair was a little bit lower than I thought. And I do have this emergency fund and like I could cobble it together if I needed to. Whereas in your brain, you were like, this is going to bankrupt us and we're going to have to get it. Like it goes to a big place. And so it's figuring out what's that first tiny step. Are you going to Google something? You're going to make one phone call. Are you going to download a bank statement? and move forward from there. So good. Oh, money smile file. I love that. That's super fun. It's great. And it's, it's true because it's kind of like a gratitude journal. You can forget mm -hmm. all of those things that you've done well, because yes, we do have a tendency as just as humans to go to that negative place. So mm -hmm. that's great. Great way to keep you you know, just to remind yourself that no, you, you can do it. You're good with you are, you've done some good things with money. Not all of it has been bad. You can, you can do this. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> okay. So if you were now, you have a long background with his a long history with money and managing finances for, you know, other people and yourself. So I generally like to ask people what they would do differently if they were starting over or what would they do what was the first thing they would do? Maybe it's the same thing you did back then. Um, you have such a long history. This question might be a little, I don't know, might not be as apropos, but I do like to ask this because 
a lot of people are just starting out on their journey. So if mm. you were just starting out, what, what's the first thing you would do? On my money journey. On your money journey. Yeah. Um, I would figure out, I would go back and really think about first I'd do some mindset work. I think mm. that's where I would, I would fix. I, I was definitely of a headspace. So, you know, the net worth equals self-worth thing we talked about earlier. Mm-hmm. That was very much came from my father who idolized wealth. He was, you know, as I grew up and realized like he was in a lot of credit card debt, he, he, the image of wealth was important to him, not actual wealth. And so for me, I had built this relationship that money would solve problems, right? And that if I was wealthy, it would mean I was successful and it would mean I was worthy of attention and all of these things. And so as someone who always did have money and always like, cause I worked from a really young age and I saved everything and I got a good job out of college. I didn't think I had a money mindset problem. I was like, I don't have a money problem. My money is fine. Like I just very much have a pile of it and everything is okay. Um, Realizing that like, there's more to it than that. I think I would have done a lot more money mindset work. It would have changed how um, stressful those years in wall street were. I definitely don't think I would have changed my career path in any way. Um, It wasn't what I wanted to do forever, but I learned so much. It let us build a good financial base. I met some amazing people. I had some cool experiences, so I wouldn't change that. But had I done some work on my money mindset, I think I could have enjoyed it more while I was there. Um, And I could have had more intention about how I exited. Um, Exiting really came at a point of burnout physically and and mentally for me. And I think I could have had a healthier exit on that. So I I think if I was going back to the beginning, I do mindset work first. Hmm. Yeah. Interesting. And I love that you have said that, like, I didn't have a problem with, with a money mindset. I had, I had money, so I didn't have the problem, but yeah. Interesting. That's how it works. We all have money mindsets that we got to work on. Dang it. Why isn't that how it works? I know. (laughs) I wish. Oh, Chelsea. Well, this has been so fun. Where can people, I know people are going to want to find you. So where can they find you in the world? I know you're all over. So yeah. So we're at smartmoneymamas.com is our main hub. You can jump to all our different places, our YouTube channel and our podcast, our um, paid society, the Motivated Mama Society from right there. Um, and also we're at Smart Money Mamas on all social platforms. So it's pretty easy. Just remember that name and we'd love to see you in the community. Fantastic. And then did you have any freebies that we're going to link to in the show notes? Yes. So we have a free family money values template where you can download and actually walk through with your partner. If you have one or on your own, what your one page of family money values is a lot of the exercise we talked about earlier. Oh, fantastic. Okay. We'll make sure we link to that in the show notes. So all of you out there can pick that up so you can get started on your journey to just having a better relationship with money because let's face it, we all can work on our money, (laughs) our money journeys here. So, okay. And then my favorite way to end all of my interviews are with three rapid fire questions. So number one, what has been your favorite simple pleasure this week? Ooh, I played Play-Doh with my three and a half year old this morning. And I normally don't, I'm not a huge Play-Doh fan. I don't love the texture, but I just sat with him and, and played this silly game he came up with. And it was just such a joy to like get some one-on-one time with him. His, he, um, my older son and my husband were playing a different game before school. And it was just nice to have some quiet time with, with my three-year-old. Oh, nice. All right. Number two, what is your favorite advice that you have received about life or money that you'd like to pass on today? Oh boy. So I'm trying to pick between two. I th- we're going to go with everything is the season. Um, it's been the best advice for me. And when things feel really hard or when things feel really good too, that like to not expect that that's like the new base normal when you're in, in a really good place. And so that was the best one. Um, but the second one I'll, I'll give you really quickly is um, the worst kind of failure is success at the wrong thing. And oh. 
that quote, when somebody told it to me, when I was at my old job, I actually burst into tears. Like as soon as they said it, I was like, oh my God, that's exactly what's been going on. And so it just, it's it's something I tell people all the time. I love the quote. And it basically is just like, it's okay to pivot. Like it's okay to not, you know, even though you get the golden handcuffs, you get the, well, I've done all this work. You get the kind of sunk cost problem of I'm already in it. It's okay to change direction because the worst kind of failure is success. The wrong thing. Oh, that one hit hard. Okay. (laughs) Buddy. All right. And number three, speaking of seasons, what is making you happy right now or in this season of your life? Ooh, just last week, we launched a new side business called Wildly Enough, because uh, another one of my favorite quotes is you are completely and wildly enough. And we're selling uh, stickers and accessories that kind of have all the positive empowerment, mental health care um, mantras that we teach at Smart Money Mamas, but also lets uh, my partner and I have a creative outlet. Um, we're selling retail and wholesale, so it's a whole new experience for us. And so just doing that art and launching that business has been a real, a real pleasure. Oh, that's fun. Oh, I love it. Yay. Well, like I said, Chelsea, thank you so much for all the advice and help and just inspiration you've given us today. It has been fantastic. Thank you so much for having me. This was wonderful. All right. Cheers. Was I right? Are you walking away from today's show having experienced at least a few aha moments? Chatting with Chelsea was a lot of fun, and it's so interesting to see how our conversation started out with looking at your top three value words and three emotional words when it comes to money. This is what I talk about in my teachings as well when it comes to decluttering and organizing, and it was a common theme in episode 73 from a couple weeks ago. Are you seeing a theme here? It's so important to know what we want so that we can set the right goals, create a clearer vision, and implement the right habits to get to where we want to go. So make sure that you take some time to know what it is that you want out of life so that you can go after it with gusto. And don't forget that you can get Chelsea's Family Money Values template. It's her free gift to you, and you can get it on my website at littlegreenbow.com slash 75. Again, that's littlegreenbow.com forward slash the number 75. Thanks again to Chelsea for being a guest on the Wannabe Minimalist Show. That just about wraps it up for today's episode, but before I go, I do want to take a minute to thank you for listening to this podcast. I know that your time is limited and valuable, and it means the world to me that you choose to spend some of it with me. And if you enjoyed today's episode and have not done so already, can I please ask that you subscribe to be notified of new episodes, but better yet, leave a review so that others can find us too. It really helps for our message to spread and so others can learn about the benefits of being a minimalist, being intentional in their life, and living a more simplified lifestyle. And it'll help them and their families in the future. All right, so that takes care of our show for this week. Join me again next week when I will be talking about how to broach the tough conversations about gift giving at the holidays. If you have struggled with letting the people in your life know about your desire for less toys or gifts at the holidays because you don't want to seem ungrateful, well then make sure you tune in because we've got some great strategies for you. I'll see you next week. Cheers. Cheers.